This is the Parenting for Faith podcast from the Bible Reading Fellowship. Visit parentingforfaith.org for free online videos and resources and an eight-session course all about Parenting for Faith. You can also sign up for news, subscribe to this podcast, and find out about events and training in your area. Welcome to the Parenting for Faith podcast. My name is Rachel Turner, and today we are going to talk about my adventures and babysitting. I love babysitting, and I had an interesting encounter that I maybe reflect on something. Uh, so I'm going to talk about my babysitting adventure. We're going to answer a, a question. Uh, there was a time I was in Cheltenham, and someone asked a really good question. So I'm going to play that audio for us about uh, what do you do when an older child tells a younger child that God isn't real. And then during our wildcard section, I am going to assess a resource, which is essentially, I love going to Christian bookshops, and I just went to America to visit my parents and went and bought a bunch of stuff, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I bought a bunch of stuff. And uh, there was this one story Bible that I bought that I sort of flipped through and then bought it, and then now I'm deciding whether or not I like it. And uh, I thought I'd bring you along the journey of what goes in on in my brain when I'm looking at a new Bible. So that's what we're going to do today. To start off, uh, I'm going to tell you my babysitting story. I love babysitting and super tiny per- persons I really, really like. And uh, as many of you know, I had cancer and hysterectomy, so therefore, babies are not even an option at this point for me. And uh, sort of like an amputee, I sort of have like phantom uterus needs of babies. And so, I love being around them and smelling them. And so, I got to babysit, and it was great. And as the parents were heading out, the baby was already asleep, so I didn't have to do any of that stress. It was just come guard over a baby who's sleeping. And uh, they gave me the parent brief. And we all know the parent brief. You know, you sit down, and then the parents sort of tell you, this is exactly how my kid works. The weird quirky things about my kid. My kid likes sleeping on her side with her, you know, head to the left. And so if she's struggling, then you just move her head to the left and it'll be okay. Or, you know, we all know the weird quirks of our babies. And so you try to communicate this to somebody else to be like, if she makes the sort of squirky noise, that might mean that she's slightly hungry. So you just, you know, jiggle her left foot four times and it'll be fine. And she did a beautiful job of giving me this parent brief. And uh, they went away. And as something, you know, the, the squirking happened about f- three hours later, and I, c- I could hear their, and I instantly looked at my notes from the parent brief and knew that this noise meant the, I need my dummy. And uh, so I snuck up like a ninja, you know, like crawled on my belly, because, you know, you never know. Uh, and so I'm, I'm trying to sneak in there. I don't want this kid to like look up and then see a face that is not mummy's face or not daddy's face and then totally wake up. And so uh, they had this genius thing. Totally side note. Did you know there's such thing as glow in the dark dummies? <laughs> it was amazing. So I like crawl in without having to turn on any lights. So I didn't have to be like lights. I could just crawl in in total and complete darkness, slip my hand on top of the baby's tummy so that I know where the, you know, what, what side is up on the baby and then just root around to find the glowing thing and then put it in the baby's mouth. It was amazing. I do not know what brand it is, but if I was going to do this baby thing again, I would definitely buy a glow in the dark thing. It was fantastic. And then I sort of slunked out and I was so grateful that the parent knew their child so well because I it took away all the stress. I knew what to do because this parent knew all the little ins and outs of how this kid works. And I remember going into surgery 
a couple of years ago when my kid was still a small person and I wrote, <laughs> I wrote this sort of like guide to my kid. Um, I was paranoid. I got worried I was going to die in surgery. So I made this sort of like everything I've ever learned about my kid, you know, guide. i slightly type A personality. And uh, and I was just going through and reading and I thought, I forgot all of these little bits, but I knew him so well. And I just felt like I wanted to remind you that you know your kids really, really well. We can feel out of the loop sometimes when it comes to their connection with God. We feel like I'm not a spiritual expert. I'm not, you know, a theologian. And my kid's spiritual life is something that I don't know as well. And that can make us feel really insecure. But I, I just wanted to tell you that you do know your kid and your kid's spirituality, your kid's connection with God is just a part of them. And there's two things that we know a lot about our kids and therefore it crosses over into how we know them spiritually. And the first thing is their environment. You know how your kid flourishes. You know which one of your kids gets more hot and which one of your kids is always cold and uh, and where they feel more comfortable and where they would prefer to sit around a table and what kind of music they like. You you know the environment that makes them flourish and comfortable. And actually, you, you can get to know the environment that they spiritually like too. Some kids are really private and love singing in their room alone to worship songs and absolutely refuse to sing in a church. That is less to do with their relationship with God and more about just what environment makes them comfortable. You, Some kids love doing devotions together. Others refuse to participate. Some like praying with the lights off. Some like praying with the lights on. You, you know your kid, and therefore you can get to know their environment that they like to connect with God in. That's something that you probably already know. You just haven't thought about it. And I would just suggest that as you think about your kid's spiritual life, that you think, what environment spiritually makes my kid comfortable and open to connect with God? The other thing is a reminder that this is about relationship. Sometimes we treat our kids' faith journey sort of like we treat their sleep journey, like if we can just get it right, then it will work perfectly. Um, But sleep is a sort of internal, physical process where a relationship with God is an actual relationship, and it's between them and God. And so, I would encourage you to think about it like you coach your kid in their friendships. You know, you don't force your kids to be friends with people. Um, you aren't around to control their choices and their friendships, but you are really aware of their friendships and you try to help them do things in a healthy way. And uh, when you're trying to find out about how Johan feels about Ibrahim, then you pick up all sorts of clues, you know, when your kid stops talking about your his friend or starts telling negative stories about his friend or looks awkward. You sort of, you can pick it up and you sort of go, hmm, something's going on there. And you can dig a little bit and you ask wondering questions. Hey, I haven't heard about Ibrahim in a while. You know, how's he doing? And you can you can ask that because you know how to coach your kids' relationships. And parenting for faith is the same way. You you can tune yourself into how is your kid's relationship with God going. And you can ask those questions and create those play dates and find out more about why they're feeling awkward. And it's the same thing. You know how to do this already. And we as Parenting for Faith, as a ministry, we exist to help you as you coach your kids in this relationship with God and as you you help them find those environments that help them flourish. But the starting point is to remember that you're the experts in your kids more than anyone else. And we're all figuring out as we go along, and it's okay to not feel like you're the spiritual perfect parent, um, but you know more than you think. And I just wanted to say, you got it. 
right, so it's question time. Sorry, that was quite loud. Sorry. Right, it's question time. And uh, this question I got when I was uh, doing a question and answer session at a speaking engagement in Cheltenham, and it was a really good question. It was about um, uh, a mum stood up and just asked the question about uh, when her kids were brushing their teeth together, the younger child was talking about God and the older child uh, was saying, you know, you don't really believe that. That's not true. That's not, you know, how it happened. And, uh, and she sort of had this crisis. You know, what do you do? Do you, do you intervene? Do you shut down your older child? Do you tell your younger child, ignore them? Like, what, how do you cope when you have siblings who are in different stages of their journey and are talking to each other about it? And, uh, and so this is how I answered it then. And I just thought, uh, I thought I'd play it for you. Have a listen. Maybe a good moment to go uh, back to Hannah's question earlier. Uh, if we're thinking about um, grandparents' influence, um, how do you, how would you navigate a situation where older kids uh, are starting to wrestle with faith, are hearing stuff at school where they don't think God's real, and they're saying it to their younger siblings? Yeah. Um, uh, what's helpful to know as a parent around that? Yeah. Uh, it's a good question. I haven't had any space to think about it, so this is literally what's going to drop out of my head right now. I'm going to give myself ten seconds to think. Mm-hmm. Oh, the music. Okay. Um, for me, whether it's a sibling or whether it is at school, that is a that is a narrative that they're going to hear. Is God's not real? God doesn't make the world. And so, um, for me, what we can want to do sometimes within families is control control the family faith journey. And what we find is kids kick back against that. So in in my in my experience of working with a lot of families, what we found most successful is you treat every kid as if they're on their own journey with God. So in that situation where you overhear it, you have two options of like, but that's not what's true. You know, you can either jump in and be like, no, um, but you wouldn't do that at school. Um, and so there is something of, of allowing the stuff to be spoken to, but then I would separate them individually and be like, hey, you know, when your brother was saying this, how did you feel about that? And, and that can be confusing sometimes when someone doesn't believe what we believe right now or is struggling or is doubting or is thinking it through. You know, how does that affect you and what are you feeling about it? And I know sometimes I have those doubts and this is how I got through it and, and this is how I respond when somebody else is doing that. So if your brother's saying something, you can feel free to disagree with him or to listen and, and, and you sort of coach them through that. But then the other one, you know, going to the other one and being like, wow, sounds like you're really, you know, struggling with all this stuff and how are you feeling about God and coaching them through that conversation. Um, and so for me, for me, I have not seen it very successful when trying to like create ground rules for we are just going to, you know, be in the middle of that. Um, but what I found useful is saying, okay, that was that was really tough. And you can talk to the older one about sort of saying, um, sort of saying, it's okay to share what you're feeling. But just as we want you to go on your journey, I want him to go on his journey. And so our job as family members is to not try to control what each other's thinks, but to respect what each other's thinks and to go. So feel free to share your thoughts. But when you've reached a point where you're trying to convince him to agree and that you think that he's wrong and you want him to think like you, that's the boundary that well, we don't want to cross in general in life, you know, whether it's about that or faith or everything. Everybody has a right to their own thoughts in their journeys. And so you can say, this is what I think. Feel free to think what you think. And so feel free to share your opinion in a way that's not trying to squish somebody else's thought process. And so it's, it's just a way of, of coaching them through disagreement while also feeling really sad in a corner and wanting to cry and wanting to pray over them and hope for their journey. But just because a child has said that they don't believe in God right now or they're not doing it doesn't mean that they're not on the journey. It just means they're in a low part of the journey. And I find sometimes 
the ability to exercise freedom to not believe in God means that they can experience what it's like to not believe in God and to look around at you who's having a great worship time or crying with God or having great, and go, "Mm, I don't think I like this very much, and to come out again the other side in a safe place that's surrounded by love and acceptance. And so giving them the freedom to go on their journey means that it's not, their faith isn't about a power dynamic between you and them. It's about them figuring out themselves. And you want the best for them, and you know that's with God, but you're also happy for them to walk their journey. So that was my answer then. It may not be perfect, but it was mine. Uh, Remember, we'd love to answer your questions, and so please feel free to send them in to email them to the Contact Us page on the parentingforfaith.org website, or put them up on our Parenting for Faith BRF Facebook page. Uh, However you choose to do it, get in contact. We'd love to answer your questions. Okay, so in our wild card section today, uh, I went shopping. And uh, every time I go to America, I go to this big Christian bookshop because I like touching things. And uh, I don't know, I just don't know everything that's new. And so I love going around a bookshop and just picking up everything and looking. And it takes me a couple of hours. My family barely survive. But uh, I picked up a resource and I just thought it might be useful to you to hear what goes on in my brain when I pick up a book. Because I look at a lot of resources and it just might help you think about what you like in your resources. The thing that made me really interested about it was that it is a storybook Bible. Uh, so they're, you know, stories, but they're written, they're written first person from the characters in the Bible. So rather than third person where you're just describing something, Eve went here and then this happened and blah, 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 blah. This is written from first person. My name is Eve. My husband, Adam, and I lived in this beautiful garden called Eden. So it's sort of stepping into the, 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 heads of the people in the stories and telling them from their perspective, um, which I thought might be interesting. So I thought, I'll buy it. Uh, But it's been an interesting journey. So in summary, this is what happens in my head. First of all, storybook Bibles in general are a potluck because there's positive and negatives because they're retellings of the Bible. So almost all of them are going to drift away from the actual biblical text. And I love scripture, so I always get a bit jumpy about that. Um, But the language of most Bibles, adult Bibles, can mean that for visual children, just listening to the audio is difficult. So I I can understand the need for storybook Bibles. And uh, and I love the range in this Bible. So I I always tend to look at the the, um, you can hear me flipping it. Uh, I always love looking at the table of contents and finding it fascinating. And, and so when I looked at the table of contents in this, I was like, oh, look at this. Like it has all sorts of ones. It has, um, you know, the story of Caleb. It has the story of Deborah. I always look for women, want to make sure there's a good representation of women. But there's also more minor characters like Elisha and Josiah and Ezra. And uh, I was like, oh, that's going to be good. John the Baptist from the first person, Thomas. And I thought, oh, this, this, this is good. It has Timothy, a whole thing on Priscilla and Aquila, one by Silas. I was like, oh, look at that. I love the range. So like positive, positive, positive. I'm going to get that. And uh, it was really great. So one of the things is even though it, it is difficult, it, it can give a voice to people who sometimes have smaller stories. And so I did like that. Um, but then I looked at how it's written. And I know it's hard to write storybook Bibles. I I know. I know it's hard. I did it um, in the book Comfort in the Darkness. I rewrote um, some Bible stories to focus on the dark sleep and dreams and, and that. And it's agonizing to write because I 
love scripture. And so everything that I did was trying to, everything I said or referenced, I was trying to cross-reference with different parts of the Bible. And I know it's agonizing. So I'm hesitant to judge anybody um, in writing something. But, you know, how you write it is important. And I, I, I know you have to miss some stuff out in the storybook. And so like in Job, I love Job, and I was fascinated that they included Job, but uh, they skipped out the whole God talking to Job thing. And so I was like, well, that's the whole thing. Like Job's sad, and then God reveals himself and says all these um, wonderful, challenging things, and Job humbles himself before God. I love that bit. And they just sort of skipped over the whole God thing. And I was like, and then I read creation, because that's always my, that's always my I always look for Job because I think it's complicated and I'm interested on how a writer takes on it. Then I always look at creation next because I'm intrigued how they handle sin and the fall. So if they go really heavy on sin and the fall, then I think mm, it sort of shows me where the speakers, where the writer's coming from. And I, was, I wasn't I was 100% on board with how they handled sin in the fall. Um, and so I was like, well, maybe, maybe this was just a bad choice. Um, but then I flipped to other bits and i loved them they did a whole thing on jesus as a refugee and and you know how they felt having to flee to egypt and i'm like yes i'm on board how they handled priscilla and aquila being you know leaders of the church i loved that they handled abigail and i thought that's great they even talked from about jacob and his regret about deceiving esau and the power of reconciling siblings and i was like this is really good so i really i really enjoyed that so it was, it was very mixed on how it was written but then I'm always a sucker for the pictures. And so I was looking through and I love these pictures. It's it's like it's like Disney on a good day, you know, like beautiful pictures of people and and powerful images of fire and I, it, it's very Disney-esque, very Disney-esque. The whole thing looks like Aladdin, which I absolutely loved, which is what sort of suckered me in when I saw it. Cuz I thought, "Oh, it's so beautiful." Until I got to the end and went, "They all these people are white." <laughs> There's a lot of white people in this one, uh, not even Middle Eastern looking ones. And so that that made me sort of go, oh. <laughs> I don't know. So my conclusion is I like some of it. I don't like other bits of it. I'm okay with that because I don't think any storybook Bible will be perfect because it's not scripture. And so for me, storybook Bibles help help us see scripture more visually and in a different way um but it's it's to me comes down to the actual words of scripture and uh, and so i don't look for perfection in storybook bibles so will i use this bible yes will i use it for everything no i think i'm probably going to pull out the stories i really really like and read them uh and ignore the ones i don't because i don't just have one storybook bible i have lots and i think it's worth it if you're wondering how to choose a children's Bible, like what are the criteria I should be looking for, there is a video on the parentingforfaith.org website that is just, this is a couple of considerations to think through, nice and short and easy. You can look that up and why I'd encourage you to watch this. So if you want to know more about how to actually align like the full Bible with storybook Bibles, there's a video on the on the website uh, on how to how to use the actual Bible and the kids Bible together so that you can do scripture. But that's what happens in my head when I look at a new resource. Right. So the question to start a conversation today is this. 
If you could add anything to the Bible, what would it be? <laughs> I know! It's a fascinating question. I was testing this on my kid because I just try things on him. He didn't like the first couple of questions, didn't think they were good. And I asked this question and he went, ooh, good question. So I know that's a good one. He's thinking about it. So uh, have this question. If you could add anything to the Bible, what would it be? Not that we're saying adding something to the Bible is important. Not that we're saying that you can or should, but it just uh, gives us a little insight into our kids' Uh, thinking about scripture and what they like and what they don't like and what they would wish more of. So have a good conversation and I'll uh, talk to you next week. Thank you for downloading the Parenting for Faith podcast. A new episode will be released next week. And why not look at parentingforfaith.org to watch the free eight session course, to get in touch or to find out about training and events near you.